welcome to Crimes and Witch Demeanors, the paranormal podcast where we go beyond the Wikipedia page and delve into historic and primary sources to find the truth behind your favorite ghostly tales. I'm your host and lovable librarian, Joshua Spellman. Welcome back, everyone. By the time this is airing, it's officially fall, and I couldn't be more excited to break out my layers. But if we're being honest, layers are really fun and all, and I love wearing a nice jean jacket and a leather coat, but more exciting than that is today's episode. There are so many versions of the story that I'm about to tell you. It was kind of hard to figure out, like, which was the definitive legend, and they're all so wildly different, as you will see. But even wilder still, what if I told you, despite there being, like, six iterations of this legend, none of them are even remotely similar to what actually happened. Like, this episode is the quintessential thing that local legends and lore are made of. And, oh, it's just, it's so unique in such a beautiful way. But also, at the same time, despite being unique, is also very much like everything. You'll see. Today, we're not straying far from where I currently am living. And we're venturing down to the quaint hometown of megastar Lucille Ball. If you don't already know, she's from Jamestown, New York. And no, before you even think about it, we're not doing Lucille Ball's ghost here. We're here to talk about a ghost she would have heard legends about growing up. And a ghost that she's actually buried with. The Lady in Glass. Five young kids drove in the dark. Their fear and anticipation had left them silent, unsure of what the night would bring. They bumped and bounced along the ill-maintained roads until the headlights of the old Chevy Malibu pierced the hazy night, highlighting the large stone sign declaring their destination, Lakeview Cemetery. We're here, Cindy the oldest and the driver said in an almost whisper. Jack, The youngest, at only eight years old, and Cindy's younger brother let out a small whimper that he hoped the others didn't hear. It turns out, Cindy heard him. Oh, shut up, twerp, Cindy said, turning off the lights and climbing out of the car, lightly closing the door behind her. The others followed. Jack's two friends, Riley, the girl he had a crush on, and Dane, his best friend. Along with them was Corey, Cindy's boyfriend. Thanks for driving us, Dane said. The others also muttered their thanks before Corey motioned for them to be quiet, waving them to follow him. The five kids walked carefully through the woods before hopping over a low stone wall and into the cemetery. Corey passed a flashlight to Jack and another to Dane before whispering, Well, we all know why we're here, right? They all looked at each other, nodding, some more assuredly than others. It's the anniversary of her death, Corey continued. The Lady in Glass. All the way back in 1898, Grace Galloway was to be wed. She was beautiful, and she came from a wealthy family. She was an heiress, like Paris Hilton or something, and the man she was marrying was carefully chosen by her father. But she was in love with someone else. Grace had been having a secret affair with her chauffeur and couldn't bring herself to marry a man she didn't love. On the night of her wedding, she pleaded with her lover who had decided to leave. Her chauffeur had decided it was best she marry and had live a happy life where she would be provided for. Grace was heartbroken but decided to carry on with the wedding. But when it came time for her to come to the altar, 
her fiancé never showed. It turned out he had overheard her conversation with her lover, and he left Grace at the altar. With her heart broken by not only one, but two men that had left her, Grace died of a broken heart. This monument. Corey paused, shining the light dramatically behind the group, lighting up a beautifully eerie scene. Behind them was a large stone pedestal, and atop it was an incredibly lifelike statue of a woman, encased in glass. This monument, Corey continued, was made. But something strange began to happen. Some nights the statue would be missing from its pedestal and would wander the cemetery crying out for her lost love. Because the statue kept getting up and walking away, they had to put glass around it to keep it in place. But her spirit can still be seen wandering the grounds. And if you see the monument without the statue in it, beware. Wait, 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 said Cindy. That is not how the story goes. First of all, Grace died the night before her wedding when she fell off of a party boat into Lake Chautauqua. And that's not just any old statue. The reason it looks so lifelike is because her body is actually encased inside the stone. Well, Riley started, I heard she actually made it to the altar, but when she was saying her vows, she was stung by a bee, she was allergic, and she dropped dead right there on the spot in her wedding dress. I mean, that's why she's wearing a wedding dress in the statue. Okay, you are all wrong, Dane said defiantly. She died on her prom night when her and her date crashed their car. Well, Jack started pointing at the stone. She was a little bit old for a prom date. And Jack was right. The stone read October 5th, 1871 to November 2nd, 1898. Oh, well, maybe I am wrong, said Dane. Anyway, Jack continued, I heard that after her fiancé left her at the altar, she was so heartbroken that she literally turned to stone and her body isn't just inside the statue, her body is the statue. All five of them stared at it in awe. It really was so lifelike, down to the lace detailing in her dress. It almost did appear to be alive. Well, I'm going over to Lucy's grave with Corey, said Cindy, with what could only be the look of teenage love in her eyes. We'll be back to get you later. As the older kids walked off, the three young ones sat there. They could see their breath in the November air. They shivered a little and decided to play a game of hide-and-seek. They walked away from the lady in glass before Riley and Dane spun Jack around a few times as he began to count backwards. 30, 29, 28. Riley and Dane thought it would be funny to hide back in the car and let Jack wander around for a little bit. Three, two, one, Jack said, opening his eyes. He stumbled around a bit, still a little bit dizzy, and he shone his flashlight around. Ready or not, here I come. Jack began to scan the cemetery peeking behind headstones and looking at bushes, but he couldn't seem to find any trace of his friends. He heard a laugh in the distance, his sister, clearly having some quality time with her boyfriend. Jack kept searching. Eventually, he had circled back to where they had started from. His flashlight scanned the ground, and he began to track the beam up the monument, but he was startled by a sound behind him. Thinking it was Dane or Riley, he followed. But what he didn't notice was that if he had shown his light just a touch higher, the glass case was empty. I hear you, he shouted futilely into the night. You can come out now. But there was nothing there. But then he saw a shadow dart behind a large oak tree and what sounded like the giggle of a girl. Riley, come on, I know you're there, he shouted nervously, coming closer. You can come out now. 
But as he approached the tree, the laughing sounded more like crying. But he could clearly see that Riley was there. Part of her jacket was sticking out from behind the tree. He stepped closer, closer, ready to tag her. He spun around the base of the tree, but before he could shout, you're it, he choked on his words. Standing there wasn't Riley, with the pale, ghostly figure of a woman, tears streaming down her face. The lady slowly looked up at him, a flash in her eye and something changed within her. Suddenly, the cemetery was silent. Not even the crickets were singing anymore. But before Jack could run or scream, he felt a cold marble hand slide over his mouth. Okay, I love this story so much. It's incredibly rich, and I'm actually very excited to hopefully be... be, 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 be. Wow, speech is hard. That's why I have a podcast. Hoping to be... visit. Oh my god. I'm hoping to actually visit the Lady in Glass sometime this fall, and also, at the same time, pay respects to the queen of sitcoms, the queen of comedy, Lucille Ball herself. And I'm actually thinking of doing The Lady in Glass for one of my, like, dragified versions of the podcast that I'm hoping to do on TikTok, but we'll see. We'll see. But geez, Grace Galloway. What a legend. So my favorite part of the story is all the different iterations that I found about it. it. It was hard to find one that was, quote, definitive, but there really isn't one. Everything from falling off of a party boat the day before her wedding, a fatal bee sting at the altar, dying of a broken heart, getting in an accident on her prom night, having an affair with her chauffeur, and the strange paranormal phenomena of physically turning to stone. From all of that to, like, the reasons why her statue is there and what it is, or, like, people say her body is actually encased in the stone. There's just so much to this legend, and I think what I love the most about it is just the thought that this legend was circulating around town when little Lucille Ball was growing up there in Jamestown. I would love to know what little Lucille thought about the Lady in Glass. Like, what version of the story did she hear? And did she ever sneak into the cemetery on a cold October or November night and walk to the grounds looking for the Lady in Glass? Like, oh, what a treat. I adored this image. It would make the cutest little comic, like little ghost hunter Lucille Ball. Oh my goodness. But I digress. I'm not here to fantasize. I'm here to fact-decide. Yep, that's what I went with, and it's in the script. (laughs) So I'm here for the facts. That's why you come to this podcast. That's why I make the podcast. It turns out that the real story behind The Lady in Glass has absolutely nothing in common with any of the legends. And that's crazy because there's so many different versions. The only thing that is in common is the fact that her name was Grace Galloway. So who was the real Grace Laverne Galloway, and why is her statue encased in glass? I'm about to tell you. Grace Galloway was born on the 5th of October, 1871, to Sarah and John Galloway. John Galloway was a wealthy man who earned a fortune in the oil fields of Titusville, Pennsylvania. Grace was the Galloway's only daughter, and she had two brothers, Fred and, well, honestly, I've only ever found any records for Fred. 
Articles say that she was the only girl of three, but I, I cannot find a record of another Galloway's child anywhere. Not in the graves, not in the census records, city records, newspapers. Nothing. I don't even have a name to go off of. Even the family tree that the Galloway's actual family put together does not have a third Galloway child. Not saying he doesn't exist. I'm just saying in the records that I have access to online, he doesn't exist. So Grace, or Gracie, as she's adorably listed in the 1880 federal census, grew up in a mansion which is now the Moose Club in Jamestown. Grace was known to be very friendly, beautiful, and outgoing, and despite this, for some reason, she never really was romantically involved with anyone from what we know. There's nothing in the historic record or anything that shows that she ever had an interest in men. Instead, she was focused intently on her career and ambitions in music. You see, Grace had a gorgeous singing voice, and it wasn't long before she became an opera singer. She sang in operas around Jamestown, often performing at the Chautauqua Institution. Her talent was real, and it was not like, oh, my rich daughter can sing like Paris Hilton. No, like, Grace could actually sing. She was given the chance to perform with the New York City Metropolitan Opera, but her father forbade it, claiming it was an inappropriate thing for a lady to do. Allegedly. I have no actual verifiable source for this. The article it came from is a little bit suspect, but it does sound decidedly Victorian, so I really wouldn't put it past John to say that. And naturally, since she couldn't perform with the New York City Metropolitan Opera, she was allowed slash sent to Boston to study music there, because that's more ladylike, going to school and being educated? I don't know. I'd phew, Victorians and their logic. But maybe John was onto something, because unfortunately, while studying there in Boston, Grace contracted tuberculosis. Desperate to help their ailing daughter, the Galloways sent her to Asheville, North Carolina, hoping that the weather and warm climate would help improve her health. Sadly, after a few months there, Grace showed no signs of improvement, and it was decided that she should return home to Jamestown. However, on this return journey, her condition rapidly deteriorated while passing through Pittsburgh, and it was there that she died on November 2nd, 1898. Now, I found her death listed in the Pittsburgh press from November 3rd, just simply saying, Wednesday evening, November 2nd, 1898, at 8.30 o'clock, Grace L., daughter of John and Sarah Galloway, aged 27 years. So this wasn't really an obituary, it was more of a death notice. But Grace did a lot of traveling with her father when she was younger. I was going through newspapers, and I saw a lot of travel notices for them in, like, the early 1890s. And as I mentioned, she was very outgoing, and she made a lot of friends. So it's no surprise that after her death, all the way in Ohio in the Crawford County Forum from November 11th, saying, Words have been received by friends in the city that Miss Grace Galloway of Pittsburgh is probably fatally ill with consumption. Miss Galloway officiated as bridesmaid at the marriage of Mrs. James Cass, and while a visitor in the city not only made many personal friends, but became quite well-known as a singer. Very many people will be grieved to learn of her ill health. And honestly, I think they'd be even more grieved to know that she had actually died nine days before this was published, but, you know, word traveled slow, but also not that slow because there were telephones that she was rich, but I digress. But I like this article notice, not quite an obituary because I didn't know she was dead yet, but it showed how like happy and light her personality was and how she touched everyone she came in contact with. Like she was just genuinely a life and it's so sad that it was tragically cut short and she was never able to really achieve her dreams if her father would even let her because apparently he was unladylike, but also he would send her to school. Uh, I, I don't know. 
Anyways, how did the statue come to be? What 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 is what what what's the deal? Her family was naturally devastated by her death, and her father, inspired by a statue he saw in a cemetery in Buffalo, which holla, we do have an incredibly famous cemetery here where Rick James is buried, which is actually less than a mile from my apartment, but you're not here to learn about Rick James. John was inspired by a statue that he saw in the cemetery that's by my house, and he wanted to create a really nice monument for his daughter. So John Galloway commissioned an artist in Pittsburgh to model Grace's figure in clay from her latest photograph. She was made exactly to her size and figure. I believe it was 5'6", but I often flip numbers. Definitely wasn't 5'9". I'm going to stay with 5'6". Don't quote me. And from there, the clay model and one of her dresses was sent to Italy to be sculpted from marble. Now, some sources say that the dress that she's wearing in the statue was one of her lawn outfits. Others say it was picked out at random, but the Fenton History Center says that it was said to be a graduation dress made by Mrs. Loyal Bushy, who was a famous seamstress at the time for wealthy families. Regardless of which dress it was, it's a beautiful dress with intricate lace detailing, which was sculpted expertly. And it's probably what gave rise to the notion that Grace Galloway was a broken-hearted bride, because with the lace and being in marble, it's white, and it looks a lot like a wedding dress. The statue, again, the sculpting is so beautiful and detailed that it does look lifelike. Though I do want to mention that Grace's family members and people who knew her at the time said that the statue looked nothing like her. But I found photographs of Grace and I would, I mean, I would venture to say it looks exactly like her. But you can be the judge. It'll be on the Instagram. But I guess they knew her best or maybe they were just picky and rich. We know how rich people are. Maybe they wanted a discount. I don't know. So when the statue was returned to Jamestown, John Galloway and his own father were actually masons and they constructed the base of the monument that's still there. And upon seeing the beautiful statue and the fine detailing of the sculpt and fearing that the statue would be weathered by the harsh elements of Western New York winters, John Galloway decided that the statue should be enclosed in glass. And that's one of the reasons why the details are so perfect now. It's because it hasn't been touched by wind or ice or snow. It's been perfectly preserved. And it's no wonder why people think that her body is actually encased in stone, which, if you remember, for this story is not what happened. But in the Niagara Falls episode, I briefly mentioned a unique form of burial known as cementation, where that actually happens. It's very weird. It's a crazy story. If you want me to do an episode on it, I will, but I digress. So, well, there is a process where people are cemented into cement... That's not what happened with Grace's statue. It's just a really beautiful sculpture. But that's the story of the Lady in Glass, this really haunting statue with a really convoluted story. And as you can tell, the legends have nothing to do with truth. We're used to this podcast of things not being true, but usually there's like a grain of truth in there. But for whatever reason, the Lady in Glass has absolutely no basis in truth. But the legend continues, and every generation it seems to change just a little bit. I think the prom date one came to be in the 50s, which makes sense. I feel like it was a very, like, prom culture then. But yeah, I love the story, and I hope you did too. If you love the podcast, give us a great rating on iTunes, hit that star on Overcast. And if you really want to support the podcast, go ahead and buy some merch from the shop. Be greatly appreciated. It just goes to providing me continued access to a lot of the resources I use to do my research. And without it, I can't really do the podcast. But thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. It's finally the start of fall. So next time you're walking through a cemetery, keep an eye on the statues around you. You never know which one might just sneak up behind you. Pursue your dreams despite your father thinking it's not ladylike. I'll tell you it didn't stop me. And as always, stay spooky. Bye. Ha 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 ha.